Most of us have an experience where you're expecting something, it's been hyped for you, you're waiting for it, and then when it actually comes, it's just not anything like you thought it would be. You had that before? It happens all the time in Tinder these days, I hear. It's like that, that, that is not that. Oh, that, that's 15 years old ago, you know, and 50 pounds or whatever might, the difference might be. You know, it might have happened where you've seen a trailer for a movie and you go, this is going to be so good, this is going to be so good. And then you show up and you go, man, oh, man, that is as lame as it gets. All the best parts were in the trailer. That's, a, you know. Or have you ever had it happen where you hear a, a radio personality and you picture what they're going to look like and then they show up at some uh, thing and then you look at them and you go, there is no way that voice is coming out of that body. I have had it happen on multiple occasions where somebody, I've had a, a phone conversations or exchange of emails or some kind of connection with somebody. We meet in person. They look at me and they say this. I was expecting you to be taller. <laughs> I have never had anybody tell me, wow, you're much taller than I expected you to be. I am just, I, I, I'm not sure which of those would insult me more, but I'm insulted nonetheless. So you've probably had it happen where there's an expectation in your mind, you get this picture, and then the reality shows and you say, whoa, really? I don't get that. That's going to happen in this one big story. Route 66, following all the books of the Bible, turning to the New Testament, began last week with the first part of Matthew. The whole thing has been building up one story that says there is a God who made us who has a picture in mind for what he wants the world to be like, what he wants the universe to be like, what he wants us to be like. We screwed it up, we fell, and he went into motion immediately to redeem it. So the whole of the Old Testament is setting up the plan for him to present and to, to rescue and to reclaim what it was intended to be like. It's all centered around the presentation of what's going to be God visiting earth, God in the flesh. We came to know him as Jesus, but he is known as the Messiah, the true king, the one and only king of all. And everything's pointing to it, and everybody's waiting for it. They go through these years of silence, and the prophets are all talking about it. And then we get to the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, and he is presented. Here he is for you to see. And when he's presented, the centerpiece of God's story, that presentation, he presents an identity of who he is, and he presents an, a set of activities, and what God does, like he tends to do, he zigs when we expect him to zag. It looks different. It's going to be revealed differently for them who saw it happen, and it's also for you and for me. It's going to leave us with some choices. Now, a little bit of context I got, I'm going to go quick, much more quickly today than I, I should, but for, there are four Gospels, and you're going to hear more about this, so you'll probably hear more of this in the next few weeks, but they're almost like four uh, video angles on the life of Jesus, and they're there for four different reasons. People say, why are there four Gospels? And Matthew, who we're looking at today, is much more through the lens of the Jewish community who's expecting a king, the Messiah. All the, there's, so, there's a bunch of fulfillment of the the prophecies that the Israelites would be looking for, and a bunch of that. Then there's Mark, who's going to present him as more of the suffering servant who comes in to absorb sin. Then there's going to be Luke, who's a Gentile, the only Gentile writer of them, who's going to show how he is the king for all of the nations. And then there's going to be John, who's going to present him as the eternal being, the son of God. Now, they all do that, but they're going to have that emphasis. 
And in Matthew chapter, the first handful of chapters, Craig covered this last week, God, he, Jesus presents the kingdom. He says, okay, here's what it's going to look like. Here's how it's intended to work. And the phrase was, it's an upside down kingdom. It's not anything like they're expecting. He says, you heard it was said this, but I'm telling you something different. The last will be first. If you want to be a, if you want to be a leader, you got to be a servant. And people are going, wait, wait, what? That's all messed up. That's, that's, it's upside down from what we've been told. And then Jesus is going to do the same thing with his personal identity and what it means to actually be rightly connected with him and what his intention is for his subjects or his followers. I want to invite you to Matthew chapter 16 because we're going to just land on one passage today. And, and we're going to see something how he, it does, it's not just an upside down kingdom, it's also an inside out kingdom. And as you're turning to Matthew 16, we're going to talk about four different groups of people who are going to be represented in, in what Jesus is going to say here. And we're going to represent them up here by four chairs. Because Jesus is going to talk about certain people and what they say about who he is. He, he's going to ask his disciples a question. He's going to say, all right, if you took a survey and they said, all right, this, there's this Jesus guy. And he's claiming to be a pretty significant figure. He's going to ask them, who do people say I am? Then he's going to ask them, who do you say I am? But I want you to see something as we do this. And we're going to represent it with these four chairs because there are going to be people who sit in each of these four chairs. So if you look at Matthew uh, 16, well, I'd rather be out there. <laughs> this is ver- I'm going to start with verse 13. So Jesus is with his disciples. He comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi. It's in the north. He asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So there's this question, and they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Why would they give that answer? Okay, we're going to talk about the first set of people who are going to respond to Jesus. We're going to let them be represented in this chair. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And he actually says, uh, the son of man. Now, that's a favorite verse. Jesus uses that phrase for himself more than any other in the Gospels, and it typically basically means He's kind of representative of all of humankind. It shows about his humanity. Jesus is fully a man. He's also fully God, but he's going to emphasize he's fully a man. And by doing that, he says, look, I understand what it's like to be a man. I am a man of the people. I am one of you. And what, so he says, well, so when people say who I am, what, what, who do they say the Son of Man is? And they give this list. You see the list? And all, all those are prophets. There's John the Baptist who has just recently been, become public um, G- John the Baptist was put to death, and there was a theory out there that John, uh, John the Baptist was, had been raised to life, and it was in the person of Jesus. So, some say, so he's a prophet. Some say Elijah. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament in Malachi, th- there's a prophecy that said, before the kingdom comes, Elijah's going to show up again. And they said, well, it might not be him resurrected. It might be somebody who represents him. Jesus would later say, yeah, that was John the Baptist. He was, he was the role of Elijah. But he said, well, some of your people saying, that's you. That's, you're, you're this forerunner, this foreteller. Some say some of the other prophets. Jeremiah, some of the other prophets. And there was something that they were saying by saying that. They said, we get this guy. He's a man of the people. He's one of us. And so you could summarize who's in this, who, what, this the view of the, the people who sit in this chair is as this. This is somebody who he's worth listening to. The prophets were there to tell people that basically said, there are people who need to tell it like it is. And they said, you know, this Jesus guy, man, we like him because he tells it like it is. They loved 
They say he, he's got something to say. He's, he's worth listening to. This guy is making a lot of sense. We should pay attention to what he's saying. Because what he's saying is he's championing marginalized people. He's coming to those who are being oppressed, and he's elevating them. He's spending time with the people who are the downtrodden, the people no one has time for. They go, that is one great guy. We like him. And when he's calling out the authorities, he's, he's anti-establishment. We love what we're hearing from this guy. He's a nonconformist. We are so fed up with the systems, and this guy's here to rock the systems. Man, that's, this is the guy who would show up in the Nike ad. This is this guy. Yeah, he's, stand, he's, he's willing to take on stuff. Jesus is just all right with me. Oh, that's for another generation. Sorry. Those in that, and, and I'm just going to pause at, with each of us and say, in, what's true, th- these chairs have been filled then, and these chairs are filled now. This all has to do with who the king really is and what do we do with him. In that day and age, they said, look, he's got a message. His message is for, of acceptance. His message is of peace. His me- he's got a message of love, a message of equality. Then that's what they had to say. That's what they're saying. He, this is somebody worth listening to. And today, there are a whole lot of us. You know what? Jesus didn't rebuke anybody for sitting in this chair because he is worth listening to. He... He, 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 he might as well have affirmed it. And today, you know what? There's a whole lot of groups that claim Jesus. They say he's, he would understand us. He's one of us. It's his message. There are a whole lot who, some of us who, who I would sharply disagree with on a whole lot of issues, but they say, yeah, but Jesus. No, that guy, he's worth listening to. Democrats claim Jesus. Republicans claim Jesus. Libertarians claim Jesus. Islam claims Jesus. They say he is a prophet. He's got something worth listening to. He represents some really, really good things. He supports our cause. I am all for Jesus. Now, some of us in the room currently would say, we're honest, this is kind of where we sit. But Jesus follows up with another question. Look at the next Section. So they tell him what, they, what, what they're hearing. And then verse uh, 15, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, who often went first and sometimes put his foot in his mouth, got one right, like we heard in the video. And Peter answers, you, oh, you're the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And I'm going to skip over what happened, what, some of what comes next to, just for the sake of time. But there is some, something significant about that because he's going to talk about this chair. Because it's not just that you're a prophet. He says, no, I'm going to identify you correctly. You're more than just a prophet. You are a Mashiach. You are the Messiah. You're the one who's been promised. You're the one who's going to take, come in, sweep in here, and change the world. You're going to bring it back to the way it is. You are the rightful king of Israel. Not only that, you're not just the Christ, the anointed one. You, Jesus, are the son of the living God. That is a really significant statement. That was blasphemy in his day. You are God 
in front of us. You are God in the flesh. This is a huge statement. Jesus is the Son of God. And so you came, Jesus, you came to do something. You came, you came to be the king. And when you come in and you set up your, your kingdom, man, we are going to benefit from that. We've been waiting for this. So those who sit in this seat, you could say, he's the Son of God, so... I will let him do something for me. If you sit in this chair, that's basically what you're saying. I'll let him do something for me. I'll let him be the king. I'll let him be God in the flesh. I'll let him come in and make things right. There is power and deity involved in Jesus for those who sit in this chair. There is somebody who is going to make things better. There's somebody who knows, you know what? He knows my situation. When I sit in this chair, I recognize that there is somebody outside myself who is for me, who wants to do something for me. He, get, he gets me and he can do something about it. He's got the power to do it if I ask him. I'm gonna, so so th- those who sit here correctly identify him and, in, and what they do, they recognize he's able to do something about my situation. So in times of need, when I'm really weary, when I'm really hurting, I know the right one to call. It is Jesus he has the power, he has the authority to do something for me. He is the son of God. These are the people, the people who sat in this chair are the ones who waved the palm branches. They're the ones, they, they, they cried out Hosanna, which means save us now. It was calling on the king. Do something for us. I, you will do something for us. We're inviting you to do it. We're glad for you to do it. Come in and do something for us. 75% of Americans to this day, it's declining, but 75% of Americans can say they sit in this chair. A whole lot of us in the room sit in this chair because we correctly identify that that Jesus of Nazareth is not just a man, he's not just a religious leader, it was God visiting the planet. 75% of Americans would call themselves Christians. They say that Jesus, what religion are you? I follow this guy. I believe, I can assent to you that he is the son of God. And you know what? You're right. Jesus will not take you to task for saying that because he wants us to recognize that that's true. Now, I want you to notice something, and by the way, we're going to skip over this part. It's based on that statement where the whole purpose of the church is given. This is a whole other sermon I was going to say more about, but I'm I'm just going to skip it. That the the church, what Jesus said, it's based on that understanding I'm I'm going to create something. It's brand new. It's called the ecclesia. The called out ones. These people are rescued out of prison. They're, they're, and, and, they're, I'm gonna, and, the, and they're going to have so much power that good things are going to happen through them. But when, but, but when you sit here, it's kind of like the person says, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy. We don't have tickets to that event. I know a guy. He, get a, he can get us in. If I call him, you know, I might even get, be able to get us backstage passes because that guy is connected. He, he's, I know him. I, know, I, I could call him. There's, um, we have a neighbor who went through a pretty serious medical condition recently, and I just talked with him, and he said, he, and he's, he went through surgery, almost cut his hand off, um, and when he got done, he, he told me, he said, and he was being very positive, he said, he said, yeah, man, I was really, I've been praying like I've never prayed, and he knows what I do, and he's like, kind of looking at me like, yeah, see, see, Right? Some, some of us sit in this seat. 
But I put them here because of what's represented here. Because look at what Jesus is going to talk about next. See the next part of the, of the passage? Take a look. It's right, it's right after this. And he goes on and says, King, the kingdom of heaven is going to advance, and you know, you're, you're right, and I'm going to give you a power and authority as my followers. And then in verse 21 it says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter, one for one, goes one for two. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Because Jesus recognizes there are people who sit in those seats, but he's going to introduce this. He's going to say, now, this expectation for this kingdom and this savior, that, or this, this king that's coming, let me tell you how he's going to do it. How I'm going to do it, he says. And he says, he began to tell them how he's going to go suffer. You see the words get used there? He's going to be suffer, he's going to be killed, and he'll be raised. And what he's doing is he's saying, the king has something he has to do for you. He has to enact a substitutionary payment for you. He, he's going to absorb the entire collective sin penalty of the entire fallen world, everything that's poisoned the world, he's going to absorb it in his eternal being. He's going to suffer under the weight of that, and he's going to allow himself to become an innocent lamb who gets slain on, the, on behalf of others. He's going to take all of that on himself. He's going to be put to death, and he's going to conquer it so that when he rises, he will be in a place to give you absolution. He will, he will make you clean. He will make you the way you were supposed to be. This is what the kingdom is about. This is who your king is going to be. Now, there's a difference between this seat. Peter understood who he was. He got it right. But understanding that what he was here to do is a huge... Jesus is going to call this the stumbling block. The New Testament is going to say, this is what's going to cause people to stumble between that side and this side. People have got a decision to make about that. You know why? Because we don't like charity. We don't like being told we don't have it together. We don't, be, we don't like being told that somebody else has something that we need. We like our independence. We, we, we feel like we can figure it out. And when Peter says, I'm, that's not going to happen, he's, he thinks he's being noble. And when Jesus calls him Satan, he's not saying he was possessed by Satan. He's saying there is a, it represents opposition to the purposes of God. You are now one who is representing opposition. I have to do this. This is the plan. Nothing's going to, the kingdom is not going to be restored unless that happens. You better get it out of the way because that's the story. You were expecting something else. You just thought I'd waltz in here, raise my scepter, speak a word, and knock everybody cold. That's not how it's going to be. Here's why. Because he says he's going to invite people to sit in a different seat. This seat. And this is the seat that says, not just I understand who he is, but he'll provide what I need. And so I'll let him do something in me. Not just for me. I'm going to let him do something in me. I'm going to present myself as somebody who is, who is in desperate need of, for him to change me from the inside. 
Because, you know, people, people move to other parts of the country or other parts of the world thinking they're going to solve all their problems. There's one problem with that. You take the problem with you. You know what the problem is? You take the problem with you. The problem needs to be dealt with where no one else can reach, where the circumstances can't change it, where the job change or the marriage change or the kids act behaving a certain way, that, that doesn't change it. What, what needs to happen is something inside me. And what's inside of me is I am poisoned by my own sin. I am dead in my soul. I cannot bring it to life. I need somebody who's going to do, enact something within me. Jesus says, I'm going to a cross so that you can come over here. You can cross over here. And when you sit in this chair, you become somebody who says, I'm going to let him do something in me. The cross was not a martyr's example. It wasn't, a, it wasn't just a martyr's death. It was the only means by which, I'm just going to tell you straight, it's the only means by which you will be restored and me. It's the only way. It's something outside ourselves. But it's going to be given freely to you. It's offered absolutely free because he took all the price. And he just offers it and says, would you, but would you surrender your need to me? Would you admit that you need it? Would you bow and accept as a gift what I have to offer you? Isn't it funny, by the way, wish I could say more about this, how Peter could be so right and in the next thing that's recorded, he could be so wrong. That's, by the way, true of you and me. <laughs> Don't think you've got it all figured out. Don't think that you've, you've got, right, you, you are just as capable of being really, really wrong in the moment. We can walk out of this room, and you, can, you and I can sin like that against somebody who we came in with. Just, just like that. It's amazing, isn't it? We can be the most mature person in the world. You can get everything right, and you can go in and completely live for your flesh. And, so, and, and Jesus says, he makes a distinction. You hear what he said? Look at the verse where he says, um, verse uh, 23, you're stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. There's a real important contrast there when you sit in this chair. Because the things of men are usually the externals, how I look, how I feel, what my needs are. The things of God are what his are. And so, he, so in that day, there were a lot of people who believed in Jesus, and they were grateful. They sat in this chair, and they said, I have been saved from hell. I have been given life. I would guess that most people in this room have pro probably sit in this chair, and you're grateful for it. You can remember a day where you said, I crossed the line of faith, and I am so grateful because my sins were taken away forever. I have been forever accepted as a child of God. I am grateful for the cross. I sit in this chair. I'm, there, there's a whole lot of us that sit in that chair, and we're grateful. He's my personal Savior. But there's another chair. And I'm just going to suggest to you today that that is the chair that you're invited to occupy. Jesus is going to explain what it means to be in that chair in the next section. Verse 24, it says then, and it, in, that, in the Greek, that actually means it's like a subsequent, it's, part, it's a continuation of the same idea. So he says, the things of God, things of men, Peter, you know, you need to get that right. And then he says, and then he says to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, what he's basically saying is, here's the story. Here's the presentation of my kingdom. You want to be an, uh, uh, somebody who, is in, who fulfills their intended place in my kingdom. I'm the king. You, do you want to follow me? 
Now, most of us who sit in this chair would say, yes, I want to, I, I, I'm here to do that. Okay, if that's the case, he says, listen to what he looks at, says next. If anyone wants to do that, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his, his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul? He uses these phrases. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. These are all internal actions. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, is a, it, he's talking about another death to sit in this chair. See, there's, there's one life you've been called to that involves two deaths. The, the, the life of the kingdom involves two deaths. It involves that death. The death of Jesus to give me, to bring me to life. But it involves another death. And this death is a little trickier because this death is a death that I choose myself. He, that, that terminology, take up his cross, is very vivid. He just said he's got to go to the cross. Now you take up your cross. Well, what does that mean? By the way, in the parallel passage in Luke 9.23, look at what it says. There's a little word that gets used in there. I think we got it. Got it? Here it goes. Then he said to all of them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. You see the next word? Daily. Wait, if there's a, I thought death was death. Well, that's why it's telling you it's not a physical death we're talking about. There's a recurring choice because right between these two chairs here is a decision has to do with your will. It has to do with control. And to die to myself means I say... I no longer am looking at Jesus as somebody who is going to live, who's going to do something for me. And I, I'm sorry, three, now let's go back. This is, this is what I'm saying. I will let him live his life through me. Can I tell you something? This is why most people who are Christians in churches today are sit here, but they don't sit there. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be disparaging. It's because we, are, we don't sit in this chair very long. We can get in and out of this chair. I sit here for a few minutes, and then when something comes to challenges, I sit back over here because I don't want somebody else to be in control of my life. I want to control my life, and I want him to come in and help me when I need him to accomplish my agenda. Did you hear that? And what Jesus asks you to do, he says, I want you to hand over the entirety of your agenda. I came in, you were dead, I gave you my life, and I purchased your life. And now what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to let me live my life, he says, through you. In order to do that, you, there, a death has to happen within you and me. We have to die to our own agenda, our own desires, our own demands. And let me, I'm just going to tell you straight, you've got them, so do I. You've got things that you absolutely insist have to happen for you to follow God. What might they be? What if God asks you to hand over those things? You know, they're really, some of them are really big things like our family and our own life and our health or circumstances. Some of them are very, very small things. Like, I really want things to go well in my workplace. I really need this promotion. I really need to get into that school. I really need, I really want my, my path to go a certain direction. And God says, to sit in this chair, you surrender that. 
And here's what you do. You say, I entrust it to you, and I determine that you as the king of my life, not just the king of the world, the king of my life, you will determine what's best for me, and I'm going to embrace it as best even if I do not understand it. Even if I don't get it. Even if I don't want it. I'm going to allow you to be the one who controls what happens in my life. Those who sat in this seat after Jesus came, you could see a change in their life by their perspective of how they responded to things happened to them. It was epitomized in what I called my life verse for most of my life. This is Galatians 2.20, which says this. Can we go to that one? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So now I'm breathing, I'm moving, I'm thinking, but I, so I'm... But the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What that looked like for him was to say, I am no longer in control of my life, and I'm going to accept what he does in my life. You know what that looks like for us? It shows up when I'm mistreated. It shows up when I'm disappointed. It shows up when I'm making decisions where God would say, yeah, you move forward, but you do so with an open hand. Because I'm going to introduce things in your life and I need you to trust me. I'm going to live my life through you. You know what that means? It means that I think first about God's kingdom and his righteousness and not my own needs. I think about what advances his purposes, what forms him mostly in me. I don't think about what makes me feel good or or advance further. You and I are intended and invited. When When the whole presentation of this kingdom is brought, and he says, here's your king, and here's living in the kingdom. It's all flipped. It's upside down. It's, it's contrary to your character. You're going to have started living differently, but you're invited to come sit in that chair where you and I say to him, you, Jesus Christ, son of the living God, are now given permission to live your life through me. Let me just ask you a pointed question. What is it in your life because I'm just going to assume something for a second. I'm going to assume that there's a part of you that would really like to see what it looks like for your life to be lived from this chair. That sometimes we long for that. And we're trying. We fail. But you just, maybe you've sat there for a while, but you've drifted from it. But here's the point of question. What do you need to release right now? in order for you to be an an occupant of that chair? What dream do you have that you're persistently, stubbornly holding on to, that you're chasing regardless what it costs you, regardless what what God thinks of it? What needs to be released? What what demand do you have? What, What priority in your life would need to shift in order for that to be true of you? And I could say more about that, but I want to get to this last verse because I want you to notice what Jesus says about how his kingdom works. Look at verse 27. The son of man, he said, he's going to come in his father's glory with his angels, and he is going to reward each person according to what he has done. This is not works-based salvation. This is, this is what J- Jesus is saying about those who inhabit his kingdom. If you, if you recognize those if you recognize who he is and, and we surrender that, he says, understand, oh, there's a glory coming. It's a good glory. And there's a reward coming. And the reward we get, 
eventually, for choosing to sit in this chair, even if it includes denying things in the present, even if it includes death to what we say we want to have, the, the glory and the, and the reward that comes from that is, is far in excess of what we would get if we stay in control of our lives. Please hear that. Because some of us in the room right now, you're struggling with something because there's been a loss in your life, there's a threat in your life, there's something that's not going according to plan. You're angry with God or you're resistant or you're drifting from him or you're just stubbornly pursuing your own way. And God is just saying, I want you to live in my kingdom. I'm asking you to take on the role of being one of a, a vessel through which my life is lived. And if you do that, I promise you, the reward will come. It may not be the reward that comes immediately. It may not be the reward in the, in the form, but it will be a better reward. Those are the subjects that, that the king is looking for. And the, and the question then in the book of Matthew is the same today. He is looking for people who would say, I will say to you, you're, I'm fine with who you are. You're the son of God. You're the savior of the world, but I want you to be more than that. I want you to be the absolute director of my life. I want to bow my knee, surrender my life to you, and I will trust you, Jesus, as my king. That where you go with this and what you produce will be far greater than what I would produce in my own life. What needs to happen in your life? What decision, what do you hold on to right now that needs to be let go to him to say, I will sit in that chair. Pray with me. I will admit first, God, um, that I only temporarily sit in that chair. I'm so prone to just, to just going into function mode, to, to problem-solving mode, to just live in my life and then asking you to come in and help my plan succeed. I'm so prone to prioritize according to what accomplishes what I think is a pretty good idea. And the decision to die to myself again and to say, I will embrace the circumstance I'm in right now as being scripted by a God who is living his life through me, that is really hard for me. I'm going to guess it's hard for a lot of us in this room. And there are some folks, God, right now, right here, who are, who are they could go either way on what they do with that. I want to ask that you would prompt us by your spirit to soften our hearts, to lessen our grip, to surrender our lives, to die to ourselves, and to say, you live your life through me, and I will trust you that your glory will be expanded because of it and your good will come to me. That you'll find people in this room ready to surrender and even now release that thing that we've just been holding on to, even as painful as it is, to say that dream, that desire, that plan, I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let the king have his way in me, live his life through me. Make that so in our lives as we worship you. Amen.